Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. Well, if you have your Bibles, let's go to Genesis chapter number six. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, there should be one in the pew rack in front of you. I say it just about every week, but I would encourage you to follow along in Scripture. We're walking, for those that might be guests, we're walking verse by verse through the book of Genesis. This is, I think, our 11th message. We find ourselves in Genesis 6 this morning. Last week, um, we covered a chapter and a half. We looked at the, the genealogies. That can sometimes be a tough one to study. And uh, the genealogies there in Genesis 5, uh, from Adam's line all the way down through, through Seth and through Cain, and we saw that pointing to Christ last Sunday. And I often say, follow along in Scripture. You're going to get more from it if you see where we're actually at. And, and I often say this, if there is any lasting change or power in anything that I preach today, it's not going to be because of my opinions, my preferences, my traditions, my thoughts, my ideas, my winsome personality, although I believe I have that, um, but it's not going to be because of my amazing sense of humor, am I right? Not so much, that's all right. But it's not going to be any of those things. If there's any power and if there's any lasting impact from anything uh, that you get from this service this morning, it's going to be be the power in anybody's preaching is in the, the, the lasting power in anybody's preaching is in the Word of God. And so I encourage you to follow along and to see where we're at. If you're following along on a phone or a tablet this morning, I'll be reading from the King James Version of the Bible. We're going we're gonna to look at um, this entire chapter. We started a little slow. It took us a few weeks to get through um, chapters 1, 2, and 3. It took us 6 or 7 or 8 weeks, and now we're averaging about a chapter chapter a week with where we're at the last few weeks, and we'll just see where the text leads us week by week, and, and sometimes we'll stop and land in one or two verses for a couple of weeks, and other times we'll hit 15 or 20 or 25 verses in a single week. Uh, but we're in Genesis 6. Do you ever look around you at American culture in 2022 and be discouraged by the wickedness that seems to surround us every day and seems to get worse year by year? Sometimes you get discouraged, sometimes you get fearful. I don't know about you, sometimes I get angry. And, and all of those, I don't know that any of those are the emotions that God wants the believer to be living in on a daily basis, discouragement, fear, or anger, I'm not sure. Now there's a time for righteous indignation and those types of things, but, but we see those. Do you ever turn on the news only to find one heartbreaking story of sin, death, and destruction after another? Every statistic that that you study, every study that's done seems to say that we are more sad, more depressed, more discouraged, and more anxiety-filled than ever before. It seems like good is called evil, and evil is called good everywhere we turn. We see news stories of drag queens being celebrated for reading to children in public libraries. Marriage is being redefined. The number of genders seems to be increasing daily and and is ever more fluid according to society. Biological men are shattering women's athletic sports records. Church attendance is declining while godless agendas seem to be increasing in popularity. The number of people, study statistics, the number of people getting married is going down while the numbers of getting divorced is going up. I don't know about you, but does it sometimes feel a little hopeless? How could we possibly raise another generation to love God? 
What's this world going to look like for our children and our grandchildren? In some ways, when we look at it through human eyes, for the believer and those that want to live according to biblical principles, the odds seem stacked against us sometimes. Well, this morning I want to tell you, and my message this morning is that we can live for God no matter what the culture around us looks like. I want to say that again. We can live for God no matter what the culture around us looks like. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world is still in the Bible. We are more than conquerors through him that loved us is still in Scripture. Culture doesn't have to define our Christianity. We're going to see that truth that culture doesn't have to define our Christianity. We're going to see that truth very clearly as we study this chapter today. And I want to bring you a message this morning entitled, Living for God in a Godless Culture. Living for God in a godless culture. Children, those that are in our children's ministry that are here this morning, you need this message because this is the world that you're growing up in. Parents, we need this message because we need to be reminded and encouraged that with God's help, we can raise a godly family for God's glory and in God's ways. And no matter where you find yourself, no matter what age or stage you're in, all of us need to be reminded that we can in 2022, don't believe the lies, don't believe social media or news media or whatever, that maybe even other preachers, that the world has gone to hell and nothing can be done and it's all over. Don't believe that. Our God can still use his people to live for him in in this generation. I want to look at a few divisions as we read through the chapter. We're going to look at at an outline or divisions of this chapter, and then I'm going to give us a few attributes from the life of Noah that we see in this chapter. Where we find ourselves, where we were last week was, two weeks ago was Cain killed, murdered his brother Abel. And uh, those first children born that are recorded to be born on earth, um, here Cain and Abel, Cain murders his brother Abel. God gives Adam and Eve, the first uh, created humans on earth, gives them another son, Seth. That they say, okay, this is where God gave me a son to replace Abel, if you will, or to his line through there. Cain's line, we saw last week, our family trees. Cain's line, his family tree was unbelievably wicked. We saw with Seth that Seth's family tree was was God-honoring and God-fearing, and through that family tree would come the ultimate Redeemer, Jesus Christ. And you can find that in the, in the genealogies in Luke 3, we looked at it last week, that through Seth's line would come the ultimate Redeemer, Jesus Christ. But before the ultimate Redeemer, we have a picture of Christ, and through Seth's line would come a Redeemer, if you will, Noah. And Noah was that, that I believe, seventh, if I remember, seventh or eighth, seventh generation of Seth, eighth generation from Adam. And, and we have Noah, and where we're at in chapter 6 is where we find Noah, the famous children's story. Talk to me, kids. Noah and the, Noah and the ark. This is where we find that famous story um, that sometimes we, we, we decorate nurseries with, and we, the, the, the fun children's books. This is where that story comes from, Genesis chapter number 6. I want you to look at the divisions or outline of this chapter. Look at verse number one. The first five verses, we see wickedness increased. Verses one through five, look, it says, and it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. I'm going to come back to this in a minute. Uh, there are some theological disagreements or just um, different ideas, if you will, about who the sons of God and the daughters of men were. Verse number three, and the the Lord said, my spirit 
shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be an hundred and twenty years. There were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came into the daughters, uh, in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men, which were of old, men of renown. Would you read verse number five aloud with me? Ready? Begin. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil, wickedness increased. So population increased, men began to multiply, and it says the sons of God and the daughters of men. I'm not going to dig too deep into this because it really has no bearing or effect on how you and I live our Christian lives today, but just as you're reading, I don't like to skip over things, this is something that there is some discussion or debate about. Who were these people, the sons of God and the daughters of men? And they had giants there and those types of things, and, and, and there, there are a couple different thoughts, trains of thoughts. One of them is that the, the sons of God, if you will, they were fallen, and so people say they they were fallen angelic beings that came and, and were inside and, and, and were housed in human form, um, and then they went and, and reproduced with, with women on earth. And, and so it was the spiritual and where it was really a satanic attack on culture, and these, these, these uh, multiplied, and people were born from kind of this, these fallen angels that came, and then with women. Others uh, would say that in context, we just got done reading about the lineage of Seth and of Cain, and that in context, it's very clear that they, they would say, not the, the, the outcome is very clear, but it's very clear from Genesis 5, that Seth's line was a godly line, that Cain's line was a wicked line, and that it was, they began to intermarry. And you had those that were living for God, those that were doing right, uh, somewhere along the way as, the, as population began to multiply, the sons of God would be referring to the line of Cain, I'm sorry, the line of Seth, and then the, the uh, daughters of men would be referring to the line of Cain. And so godly God followers began to date and to marry and to have families and have children with ungodly. And whether that's true or not, we do see this truth in Scripture, God warned Solomon, King Solomon, be careful who you date, be careful who you marry, because as a believer, as a follower of God, if you marry an unbeliever, it's very likely that that unbeliever will turn your heart away from God. And we saw that in, in, in Solomon's life. And so either way, the end result is the same in that, that all of a sudden population and, and society began to move farther and farther and farther away from God, away from His words, away from His, His truths. And no matter which one is true, I do think an application for today is a reminder, those that are unmarried and parents, as you, you start to get, walk through those seasons with your life, we ought to do our very best be careful about the influences, friendships, dating relationships that we surround ourselves with, because as I've heard it said before, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. And some of the most important decisions that a young adult will make in high school, teen years, college years, career years, are the friends they surround themselves with and the people they, the person they, the people they date and the person they choose to marry. There aren't many things that impact the future and the direction of our lives more than the one that we marry. 
And so either way, it was, it was, there was a wicked union, if you will. There were people that were, that were not following God marrying together. Um, I personally, and, and there are good arguments actually on both sides, I, I personally lean a little more toward this was the sons of, of Cain um, marrying the, the, uh, the sons of Cain, I'm sorry, of Seth marrying the daughters of Cain, and wickedness began to come into these relationships, and over the course of a couple of generations, every man is doing that which is right in his own eyes. If somebody disagrees, and believes the other way, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be upset about it. It's, it's not abundantly clear in my opinion either way. There are arguments to be made for both. The reality is no matter which one of those thoughts is true about the sons of God and the daughters of men, what it led to was wickedness in our entire society. Every man is doing that which is evil only continually. Then we see verses 6 and 7, judgment announced. Would you read verse number 6 aloud with me? Ready? Begin. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. What a sad verse. God was grieved that he had made man. They had gone so far away from him. They had spit in his face. They had, they had lived in ways opposing him so much that God was grieved. Verse 7, and the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. Verses 6 and 7, judgment is announced. Then we see, and I love this, because a lot of times when, when, you're, when we, we think about Old Testament versus New Testament, we kind of characterize the God of the Old Testament is this mean, angry ju judge that's trying to, to get even with everybody, and the God of the New Testament is this gracious, merciful, loving God. And let me just say to you, the God of the Old Testament is the exact same God of the New Testament. He's a God of justice in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, and He's a God of love and grace, grace and mercy in the Old Testament, and we've seen that already in the first five chapters. Every time, now there are consequences for sin, but every time that there were consequences for sin, or every time that judgment was pronounced, there was always mercy and grace and love and forgiveness that came along with that. So don't get a wrong view of God. I was talking to one of our good church members recently, and they said, based on kind of the way I grew up. And, kind of the things that I learned, I, I, sometimes I kind of walk always scared of, is God going to get even with me? And I said, I understand where you're coming from. That's a wrong view of God. That's not the God of the Bible. Now, does that mean that God is not holy? No. Does that mean that God is not just? No. But if God wanted to get even with you and with me for sins that we've done, there'd be nobody sitting in this room. We would have gone a whole, a long time ago. And so, don't, uh, we're not, we don't abuse His grace, and shall I continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. No, the grace of God brings us to repentance. We don't abuse it, but even in the Old Testament where we kind of view God because there were some, some pretty crazy stories in the Old Testament as sometimes maybe being this angry, mean judge, always getting even with people, that's not the case. I want you to see it here. Mercy is extended as soon as he makes a decree that there's going to be judgment coming to the earth. Look what he says in verse number 8. Would you read verse number 8 aloud with me? Ready? Begin. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. You see grace in the next verse. By the way, it wasn't only for Noah. I personally believe that anybody that wanted to get on the ark could have gone on the ark. Noah was preaching righteousness. He was preaching that, that there's judgment coming. 
And God extended mercy to everybody, and they rejected that mercy. Verse number nine, these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. What a great testimony verse. And Noah begat three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh, do you see it in verse 12? All flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. I want you to stop right there. Back in verse 3, we just kind of skipped over it. The last phrase of verse 3, it says, yet his days shall be in 120 years. God was making a time frame, a proclamation, I'm going to give 120 years before my judgment comes. Again, another picture of grace and mercy. There's going to be 120 years before my judgment is poured out upon the earth. Our God is long-suffering, plenteous in mercy, the Bible says. There are 120 years where people could have heard the preacher and gotten their lives right. Verse number 14, here's what God tells Noah. Make thee an ark. An ark is a picture of salvation, a place of protection. It's a type of Christ, if you will. Make thee an ark of gopher wood. Room shalt thou make it in the ark, and shalt pitch it within and without with pitch. And this is the fashion which thou shalt make it of. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, the breadth of it 50 cubits, the height of it 30 cubits. A cubit was from your top of your middle finger to your elbow, depending on the country and the measurement, somewhere between 17 and 20 inches is a cubit. A window shalt thou make to the ark, and in a cubit thou shalt finish it above. And the door of the ark <clears throat> shalt thou set in the side thereof with lower, second, and third stories shalt thou make it. By the way, how many doors were there into the ark? One. It's a picture again. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. There is one way into salvation. There is one way into protection from God's judgment, it, and, and it is the door. What did Jesus say in the New Testament? I am the door. I am the way. That, that is the way to salvation, to eternal protection from God's judgment is Christ. Again, pictures of, of Christ throughout here. And, and we see uh, verse number 17, behold, I, even I, do bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, wherein is the breath of life from under heaven. And everything that is in the earth shall die. Oh, I like this verse. Verse number 18, what's the first word of verse number 18? A little conjunction there. What does it say? But with thee will I establish my covenant. Did you see verse number eight? But Noah found grace. I love those little merciful exception clauses, those little merciful conjunctions. Yes, I'm bringing judgment, but I have mercy. I'll establish my covenant. Thou shalt come into the ark, thou and thy sons and thy wife and thy sons' wives with thee. And of every living thing of all flesh, two of every sort, shalt thou bring into the ark to keep them alive with thee. They shall be male and female of fowls after their kind, cattle after their kind, every creeping thing of the earth after his kind, two of every sort shall come unto thee and keep them alive, to keep them alive. And take thou unto thee of all food that is eaten, and thou shalt gather it to thee, and it shall be for food for thee and for them. We have wickedness increasing in the world. Every man's doing that which is right in his own eyes. We have, we have then judgment announced. I'm going to pour out judgment 120 years from now but we have mercy extended. I'm going to make a way of escape. I'm going to make a way of salvation. 
I'm going to make a way that you can be protected. I failed to mention Charlotte. You have some college friends here. We welcome you to Liberty this morning as well. I'm going to make that way. We have mercy extended. Peter said it this way in the New Testament, 1 Peter chapter number 3, verse 20. He says, which sometime were disobedient when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was a preparing, wherein few, that is eight souls, were saved by water. They had an opportunity. There was long suffering of God in the days of Noah while he was preparing the ark, but people were disobedient. God extended his mercy in the midst of his pronouncement of judgment. And then the last division in the last verse of the chapter, we see commandments obeyed. Verse 22, would you read verse 22 with me aloud this morning? Ready? Begin. Thus did Noah, according to all that God commanded him, so did he. And so God builds an ark. It probably, we don't know exactly what it looked like, but our family has visited a few times. There's what's called the Ark Encounter, where they've taken the biblical account. They've done a lot of study, archaeology study throughout. It's in the Cincinnati, Kentucky area. It probably looks something like this. We know those would be the dimensions of the boat. Isn't that amazing in those days for something of that nature to be built? Now, probably, we believe it probably took him, if you study the, the chronology and all of that, it probably took him 55 to 75 years to build it. Quite a quite a building program. And uh, this all happened about 1,600 years after creation. So about 1,600 years after creation, God looks at creation and says, it grieves me that I made them. And I think we have another picture there of, of the ark, and you can show that next one there. So that's, that's kind of, in, and looking at different ways boats were made, they've come, and if you go there, there's some amazing um, um, displays and exhibits. If you're ever anywhere near the Cincinnati, Ohio area, it's right on the border, I would encourage you to stop by there. Phenomenal place. And really what it helped me, I always took that Noah's ark, the, the story, the account of Noah's ark was true. I took it by faith from, because it's in Scripture, and I believe that the Bible is true. But it really helped me. It talks about the engineering that, that would have been around in those days and the, the ways that they would have done things. And so Noah obeys the commands. I don't know about you, but when I read this chapter, I find so much encouragement in the life and testimony of Noah. Here's the reality. We think we're living in, in many ways a godless society. But here's the reality. The times of Noah were much worse, far, more, far worse than what we're living in today. Far more wickedness, far more corruption, far more sin, far, and let me illustrate, we're, if, you just do a, if you just do a Google search, we're told that somewhere around 2.3 billion people on planet Earth would, would claim some form of Christianity. Now you dig into those numbers a little bit deeper, and even if we wouldn't agree that all of those would be biblical Christians that that would believe the gospel of Jesus Christ for salvation, even if that number, at the very least, that number is probably somewhere in the one to two billion range, or at the very worst case, like if if you're the only one that's right and everybody else that believes in Jesus is wrong, you're still going to be somewhere in like hundreds of millions of people around the world that would claim Jesus Christ as their Savior. How many were there? in Noah's day. There were about eight, and they all had his last name. You know what Noah's, Noah's wife's name was, don't you? Joan of Arc. And uh, <laughs> see, I told you my sense of humor. I didn't even have that in my notes. That just came to me right here. But true followers of God in Noah's day were about eight. 
Sometimes we, we, and I'll hear even preachers, and I'm not against preaching against sin and preaching for righteousness, but I'll even hear preachers talking about, it's the worst it's ever been in this generation, and almost like just that old, get off my lawn, everything is bad. Here's the reality. Are there, have there always been enemies of God? Does it seem like in our culture, as you study history, that America is drifting farther and farther from God? That our, yes, all, the answer to all of those things is yes, but here's the reality. Noah's day was far worse than ours, and yet Noah still lived for right. Noah was still a preacher of righteousness. Noah still found grace. Noah still walked with God. If Noah can do it, so can you. Don't start buying into the lie. Well, it's just my kids are going to be that way, and my family's going to be that way, and that's just the way I am, and that's just society. Oh, no. God can still allow us and raise up a generation that will live for Him in a godless culture. And how are we going to do that? And here's the message. We've looked at all the texts we're going to look at. Here's the message. What are some of the attributes of Noah that we find in Scripture that we can apply to our lives so that we can live for God in a godless culture. Number one, I want to suggest to you the first and foremost thing, if you're going to live for God in a godless culture, Noah was forgiven by God. He was forgiven by God. Verse number eight, but Noah found, what did he find, church? Noah found grace. What is grace? Grace is unmerited or undeserved favor. What it means is he didn't deserve it. Noah found salvation. And you say, well, I'm not so sure. This is the Old Testament. I don't, I don't know about all of that. Maybe Noah got saved in a different way than we did. Maybe it was because he built the ark. Well, the Bible tells us in the New Testament, Hebrews chapter number 11, how Noah was forgiven. Hebrews 11, verse number 7, it says the first two words, by what church? By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness. He became heir of righteousness. There's no righteousness in us. How did Noah become heir of righteousness? The last two words? By what? How, do you, how are we ever going to be forgiven? How are we ever going to be saved? By faith, by faith. I love that verse. Those two words bookend that verse. By faith, by faith. Noah, how did Noah live for God? It was first and foremost because he was forgiven by God. He knew what it was to be redeemed, to be saved. Noah, by faith. And how are we saved in 2022, some five-ish thousand years later? By grace, through faith. You and I are never going to live for God. We're never going to stand for truth in our own strength. None of us are strong enough. None of us have enough power. We can do it for a little season. All of us can maybe try to really work. I'm going to work harder. I'm going to get rid of that. I'm going to get self-discipline. I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to be in church every time the doors open. I'm going to read the Bible through in a year. I'm going to do all that in my own strength. And you might do it for a while, but you're not going to do it for a lifetime in the midst of a godless culture that's pulling at you from every direction. It's only by grace through faith. It's the love of Christ, the forgiveness of God that changes us. Noah was saved the same way you and I are today, by grace, through faith. And if you're here this morning, and you've never known the grace, the mercy, the forgiveness, the love of God, I want to challenge you to accept Christ as your Savior. You don't need, you don't need to clean your life up to come to God. You don't need to start doing this or stop doing that. That will all come out of flowing out of your relationship with God. You need to be forgiven by God. Today, make today the day of your salvation. How did Noah live for God? He found grace in the eyes of the Lord. How did he do that? By faith. He was forgiven by God. What do we see in verse number nine? Secondly, how did he live for God? I've got four thoughts. This is number two. He had a relationship with God. Verse number nine. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was what kind of a man, church? A just man or a righteous man. And what? 
perfect. Perfect doesn't mean sinless. It means without blemish or blameless. So his standing with God, he was righteous. He was a just man. God knew that Noah was a good man. And his standing with men, he had a good reputation. Men knew that Noah stood for God. He was, he was a just man, righteous. He was, he was perfect or without blemish, blameless in his generations. And look at this. And Noah, it's an interesting phrase. And Noah, the last three words of verse 9, Noah did what, church? Last three words of verse number 9. And Noah did what? Walked with God. Interesting picture. He walked with God. What does that give us the idea of? A relationship. And by the way, that's what the Christian life is. Man and religion sometimes want to make it a system, a list of rules, a bunch of things you need to do, and you've got to do this every Saturday night and every Sunday morning. You've got to do these beads, and you've got to dress like this and walk like this. And the Bible speaks to some of the ways that we ought to live in our lifestyle, but those flow, those are fruits that flow from an inner relationship. Those are not ways to draw yourself closer to God. What does it say here? It says, and Noah walked with God. What was that? That was a relationship. What do I do? Yesterday, we, we had a family friend in town, and we went, a couple of them, and we went down um, to Crystal Cove and got a meal at the beachcomber there. And my wife and I, we walked as we were on the beach. I, we walked, and we were holding hands walking along the beach. Why? Because I have a relationship. I didn't go up to anybody else on the beach and grab their hand and start walking down the beach with them. I have a relationship. I grabbed Annalise's hand. Ashley won't let me do it anymore. It's not, it's, you younger girls, don't follow her example, all right? But we walk together along the beach. Why? Because we're a family. There's a relationship. We talk to each other. We want to hear what's going on in our lives, talking about this and what's happening here and what's coming up. We're walking together. And this says of Noah, it wasn't just that he was forgiven, not just that he had a redeemer, but he also had a relationship. He walked with God. It gives me the idea of a daily basis, Noah and God. By the way, one of the only, maybe the only other person, I didn't study it too deeply, but, but the only other one that I came to mind and that I found in just a, a cursory search that this is said of was his great-grandpa Enoch. And Enoch walked with God and was not. Boy, a great reminder that, that what I said last week, parents, grandparents, your choices can impact generations. Isn't that beautiful that Enoch's great-grandson was still doing the same thing that Enoch had done, walked with God, a relationship. There was something different about Noah. He was a just man and perfect, and he walked with God. You and I aren't going to make it in our Christian lives for very long if we neglect our relationship, daily time spent in His Word, time spent in prayer, time spent together as a church. We need more of those things, not less. We need more godly influences, more Christ-honoring music in our lives, more uh, godly friendships, more time in His Word, more uh, Bible memory, more spending time in prayer and in praise as we sang this morning, let everything that hath breath breath praise the Lord. Why? We need to walk with God. I've heard it said before, uh, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. And again, I understand theologically this is a church building. The building is not the church. The, The church is the people. We do not, I say sometimes, thanks for coming to church. Theologically, we don't go to church. We gather as a church. And if we were to gather at the park, we'd be gathering as a church. The building doesn't matter. But here's the thing. I hear some people say, you don't have to go to church. I've heard it before. You don't have to go to church to be a Christian. And that is true. And I like what one pastor said in response to that. You don't have to go home to be married either, but it sure helps the relationship. And, oh, I don't, I have to do this. Why do I have to read the Bible? And you don't have to, but it sure helps the relationship. Growing in Him. Noah walked with God everywhere he went. I heard one pastor when I was a young Mary, we were married probably a year at a couple's retreat. He said, practice the presence of Christ. 
And I understand the phrase. Practice the presence of Christ. What does that mean? And he said, you need to, to begin to understand and remember that Jesus said that we, we were given the Holy Spirit. He's with us always. That you have God with you and you need to practice wherever you go as if Christ were right there with you. And it will change your actions, your thoughts, your viewing, your, your, all of those, your words, your attitude. It'll change all of that, your honesty, your integrity. Noah did that which was right. His relationship with God changed his morals, his beliefs, his actions, his family, his willingness to stand against peer pressure and against the culture that was all around him. And here's a, here's a thought I pondered as I studied for this message. Would verse 9 describe you? And would it describe me? A just man and perfect and one that walked with God. Is there any difference in our homes than in the homes of the unbelievers? Any difference in the way that we talk to each other, the love that we show, the priorities that we set, the entertainment that we consume, the activities we participate in, the music that flows from our devices, the relationships that impact us? Noah walked with God and it changed who he was. So number one, we have Noah's forgiven by God. How are we going to live for God in a godless culture? We've got to be saved. We've got to, we've got to, we've got to know that we're, our, our sins are forgiven by grace through faith. He was forgiven by God. Secondly, it didn't stop there. He didn't just get fire insurance. He walked with God. He had a relationship with God. Number three, we see obedience to God's word. What does it say in verse 22, the last, the last verse of the chapter? Thus did Noah, notice this, according to all that God commanded him. All right. When you're reading the Bible, don't just run through Scripture to say, I mark your box, I read my three chapters today, or I read my one chapter today. Sit and really think about what's happening there and let God speak to you. Let's stop and think for a minute. God just told Noah to build a 500-plus foot boat on dry ground in a world that had never had a, a thunderstorm. There had never been rain or flash floods. It was a different environment. You can study it. God broke open the heavens for the flood. Do you think, do you think that God's word in Noah's society and in Noah's culture, do you think that God's word made a whole lot of sense? Of course not. Do you think that by following God's word, Noah became more popular with those around him and with culture by spending 50 plus years of his life building a boat out there? Do you think that maybe somewhere along the way, five or 10 or 20 years in, Noah thought, what in the world am I doing living my life according to God's word? This is the, this is the dumbest thing in the world. You're, maybe he didn't. The Bible doesn't say that he did that. I'm just thinking if it were me. If I were, you work in construction, Keith, if I were on the same construction project for 30 or 40 years, I think at some point, and no rain came, and I'm like, I believed him by faith. This is a really long time. They're really getting to me. Everybody's making fun of me. I'm like on everyone's social media profiles. They take pictures when they walk by. They post it on there. Look at this crazy guy building a boat for a flood from a storm. Oh, yeah. And he's the same guy. He had that one grandpa that lived really, really, really long, Methuselah. Remember him? That's a one weird family over there. It made no sense to follow God's word in Noah's society and in Noah's culture. And you know, the reality is, we still have it pretty, pretty good as Christians in America. We're not facing persecution. But the reality is, it feels like the longer that it goes, it's, it doesn't make as much sense in our society to follow the principles of God's word as it might have 50 or 100 or 200 years ago. But yet, Noah said, all 
that God commanded him. The stuff he understood, the stuff he didn't. Uh, go for wood. Why can't I use oak? He said, go for wood. I'm going to do what he said. wonder why i got to build it this big. Why does it need three decks? Why do I have to do? No, Noah did, just took God's word by faith. He took him at his word, and he obeyed God's word, whether it made sense or not. Young people, I want to challenge you. You're living in a culture that much of it is pulling against the principles of God's word, is teaching you it's, it, that, that it's wrong to, to, to stand for truth. It's wrong to stand for life. It's wrong to stand for these things that the Bible clearly stands and clearly teaches, but it's becoming very, in a lot of places and in a lot of issues, very politically incorrect and popularly uh, unpopular in popular culture to stand and live for the truths of God's Word. But like Noah, you're going to have to make a decision, am I going to follow my wisdom or am I going to follow God's wisdom? Am I going to follow my peers or am I going to follow my Savior? Am I going to follow what I think is right, what makes sense to me, or am I going to do what God said whether it makes sense or not? He, He obeyed God's Word. This is how we'll live for God in a godless culture. When everyone around us, young people, is is experimenting with their bodies and experimenting with substances and experimenting with with experiences and with pleasures, we'll say that my body is a temple of the Holy Ghost. I'm not my own. I'm bought with the price. So I'm not going to allow some of those substances that wouldn't draw me closer to Him into my life. I'm not going to experiment with that partner. I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to go there. I'm going to follow God's plan that marriage is supposed to be between one man and one woman. I'm going to take God at His word, even when the most popular television shows are preaching a different message. If you're going to live for God in a godless culture, you're going to have to decide, who am I going to follow, myself, my society, or my Savior? And that's, again, it's why we must know the Word. We must study the Word. We must embrace the Word. Pastors, we must preach the Word. People, we must believe the Word. We must take the Word for what it says, even if everyone else mocks us. And then lastly, The last three words of the chapter, how do we live for God in a godless culture? Noah did a work for God. See the last three words? Would you read the last three words of the chapter aloud with me? Ready? Begin. So did he. It was a lifetime project. And Noah said, I'm giving my life to work for God. It's not not enough to just know what the Word says, we need to actually do it. I think it was in the New Testament, was it James that said it this way? Be ye doers of the Word and not hearers only. Oh, I believe the Word. Does it make any change in your life? The Bible says the devils believe and tremble. The devils believe there is a God, but it doesn't change how they live. Your life and in mine, oh, I believe the Bible. Does it make any change in our lives? Does it make any change in our homes? Does it make any change in our families? Is there any change because are we doing anything differently in much of American Christianity in 2022? And, and I'm, this, I hope this is an encouraging message that we can live for God, but, but it is also identifying some things. I don't want to be negative, but in much of American Christianity, we have become consumers. We pay our dues at our local church so that we can receive our benefits. We spend an hour every Sunday morning going to enjoy our entertaining worship experience, get our feel-good music concert, hear an encouraging TED talk with a few Bible verses thrown in, have our kids entertain in a Disney-like playland, and go on our way living for ourselves the other 167 hours of the week. Let me say this, church, God did not save us to be consumers, He wants us to be contributors. 
We are members of the body of Christ. That's not Costco membership where you get, you get benefits for what you paid. You get free samples because you pay your annual dues. That's what we think of as membership in our society. No, God did not save us to be consumers. He wants us to be contributors. Members of the body that are actively serving, actively giving, actively loving, actively praying. We're not just here to walk into church, to sit down for an hour, to receive, oh, I really like that song, oh, I didn't really like that song, and, and, and oh, I really like that message, oh, that message was kind of boring, oh, and we're just professional, like the, we treat church the way we treat restaurants, and the way we treat barbershops, and it was just, oh, I'm going to leave that a three and a half star review, that wasn't really my favorite. No, we, that's not what we're called to do, we're called to come and to serve and to love and to pray and to give, and to contribute to the body, to worship Him and not ourselves, which is what consumerism really is. I'm going to find the church that most pleases me. That's cons- I'm going to worship myself. No, I'm going to worship God. I'm going to find the church that, that is most closely aligned with Scripture and that most clearly preaches His Word and, and preaches the gospel of Christ. I want to find a gospel-preaching church to plant myself in. God did not save us to be consumers. He wants us to be contributors. Contributing members of his body that are the hands and the feet of Jesus, doing work. Here it is, God's, the three things I said, how he lived in a godless culture, God's forgiveness, his relationship with God, and his obedience to God's word led him to do a work for God, and it should do the same in us. If you and I are a part of this church, those things should lead us to find a community group to plug into and build relationships and pray for one another and be able not just to consume but to contribute. It should, so we can grow in Christian community. It should lead us to find a service team or several service teams to serve with so that we can use our gift for God's glory. At the end of August, we're going to have our ministry involvement Sundays where we'll relaunch our community groups and some of our service teams and ask you to plug in. Why? We want you to plug in so that we can build a bigger church for our name. Absolutely not. We want you to plug in so that you can live a life that's pleasing to God, because if we are not surrounding ourselves with Christian community, and if we're not involved in using our gifts for God's glory, we are wasting much of what God has entrusted to our care. We are living selfish lives in in our culture and not spiritual lives. Every member ought to be faithfully committed to a group and or a team. Why? Because... The forgiveness of God, the relationship with God, and our obedience to his word should lead us to do a work for him. Parents, if our children don't ever see us making sacrifices for God's work, don't ever see us serving, don't ever see us giving, don't ever see us praying, why, would we, why should we be surprised if we don't ever see them making the work of God a priority in their lives once they leave our homes? The Christian life starts on the inside, but it always works its way to the outside. It started on the inside. Noah found grace. He walked with God. Stuff people didn't see, the private. The Christian life always starts on the inside, but it always works its way to the outside. That that personal relationship, it led to a public work. And the same should be true in your life and in mine. We need to work for God. What was different about Noah and his culture? I guess we could probably pull a few other things out. But as I studied this chapter, why was God able to use Noah to do an amazing work, really? And all of us can trace our bloodline back to Noah. At one point, it was he and his family were the only eight people left on earth. We're here today because of this man that was willing to live for God in a godless culture. By the way, he, he, he worked for God and he raised a family for God. Why was he able to do those things? 
because he was forgiven by God. He had a relationship to God. He owed obedience to God, and then he did a work for God. Isn't it interesting how that kind of lines up with our church's fourfold mission statement or purpose statement, why we exist? To share the gospel, to see people forgiven by God, to grow in the gospel, to see, to see that walk with God, that relationship with God. To, to then connect through the gospel and obedience to God's word, building Christian community and getting to know people, and then to live the gospel, to do the work God has called us to do. Why, what are we challenging our church family to do, to get involved in all four of those? Why? So that we can live for God in a godless culture, together, as a church family. And we don't just need to curse the darkness, church. We need to shine the light. We don't just need to sit around and say, ah, CNN, ah, Fox News, MSNBC, Trump, Biden, did you see that, this and that, COVID, monkeypox, ah, I hate this, we hate that, it was so much better, leave it to Beaver, it was so much better in the 50s and the 20s and the 1810s, I wish I was born then, you'd be dead. <laughs> Quit cursing the darkness. Noah was a preacher of righteousness, but you know what Noah did? He walked with God, he obeyed God's word, and he stood for right for a generation. Most people know that Noah built an ark. What they may not know is that he also built a godly character and a godly family. And by the way, it was his godly character that allowed him to be able to, that allowed God to be able to use him to build the other two. It may look and feel strange to live for God in our current culture, but take encouragement and instruction from Noah's life. I close with the words of the British expositor Alexander McLaren on the life of Noah from this passage. Here's what he said uh, more than a century ago. He said, for 120 years, the wits laughed and the common sense people wondered and the patient saint went on hammering and pitching his ark. But one morning it began to rain. And by degrees, somehow, Noah did not now seem, like such, seem quite such a fool. The jests would look rather different when the water was up to the knees of the jesters. And their sarcasms would stick in their throats as they drowned. Here's what he said. So is it always. So it will be at the last great day. The men who lived for the future by faith in Christ will be found out to have been the wise men when the future has become the present and the present has become the past and has gone forever. While they who had no aims beyond the things of time, which are now sunk beneath the dreary horizon, will awake too late to the conviction that they are outside the ark of safety and that their truest epitaph is, thou fool. Don't let that be you. No matter what culture teaches, what it, what it tries to push on you or your life or your family, dig into God's word, build Christian community, find what God's plan is for our lives. And like Noah, let's do our best to live for God in a godless culture. Are you forgiven by him? Do you know him as savior? Are you walking with him? Do you have a relationship daily, weekly? Are you obeying the commands of his word? Is your relationship making any change in your lifestyle, in your habits, in your attitudes, in your activities? And are you doing a work for him? It's time for us to get off the sidelines and to start building the ark God's called us to build. Oh, I don't think it'll be a 55 year long project where we have to build a 500 foot boat, but he has a work he wants you to do that will help to bring some other people to Jesus Christ. Let's plug into that. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.